You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, have you ever wondered how I generate thousands of inbound leads per year using LinkedIn? Well, this episode is sponsored by my guide, The Ultimate Guide to Generating Inbound Leads with LinkedIn. This is the definitive guide on how to consistently generate inbound leads using LinkedIn and social selling. So if you want a copy of that guide, just send a text to 44222 with the word L-I guide, all one word, L-I guide to 44222, or you can go to my website at askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Mark Jacobs, and he has spent the last 20 years as an executive leadership consultant helping companies to achieve exponential growth and scale. After exiting several seven-figure businesses, he started his own holding company, ScaleWorks, and a business accelerator. His program has been responsible for turning around companies that were losing money to achieving 30 to 50% growth and from no possibility of exit to 15 times EBITDA. So welcome to the show. Appreciate you being here, Mark. Hey, Dennis. Thank you very much. I would like to make one. While we do have the holding company, I want to say that it's really because of my partners that that exists. I'm just a resource to those guys. They're all so much smarter than I am. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it takes a village, right? And so it takes a team. And so kudos to that because you know not everybody would give the credit where credit is due. And it sounds like the team is doing well. But today, just to tease everybody a little bit, we're here to talk about one of the challenges that you see most often with clients. And that is you find entrepreneurs working really, really hard to try to grow their business, but they never actually scale for whatever reason. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about from working hard to grow your business to actually being able to scale your business. We're going to talk a little bit about your scale work framework and your process that you use. But before we do that, give us a little insight into you. Tell us a little bit of a background for a minute or two, and then we're going to dive right in. Well, I think the upside of it is I came out of the quality management world. And so process is extremely important to everything we do. We want our work to always be repeatable. And we want it to be that to the point that it's repeatable to the point that people can look at it and say, wait a minute, I have an idea on how to improve what we're doing here. So the upshot of of my career has been, hey, how do we map this out? How do we get data to prove that our thesis is executable? And how do we then transfer that information so that the people around us can look at it and say, oh my gosh, here's a better idea. And why don't we try this? And here's the data that supports that. And to your point, if it takes a village, all of a sudden at that point in time, we have an enthused tribe. And that's the excitement and the life that I've got a chance to live, seeing other people just expand their own horizons. Yeah. It's amazing because data doesn't lie, right? I mean, data is one of those things that, you know, it just doesn't lie. It tells the story a different, you know, in a different light than any other metrics, right? I mean, because you can have, you know, there's a lot of ways that people will measure success inside of a business or failure inside of a business. And I think the data tells a lot of that story. So I appreciate you taking that approach. And like you said, if you want to create a repeatable process that has some consistency and some sustainability, I think that's the smart way to build it is to build it around something that's proven. So, okay, awesome. So how long 
have you been an entrepreneur for 20 years or you've been more in what was that path? How did that path unfold? <laughs> well, I worked for a, a large company, Motorola, and boy, it was a great experience. And that was the last large company that I ever took a paycheck from because I uh, found myself thinking as I was in meetings, wait a minute, are these guys defending the direction we're going or the position they have, hoping that the direction we're going will continue to feed them and their family? And my thought was, you know, I like the experimentation and I'm okay with risking. And I'm sure my family will figure out how to forage if I fail. So, I did not spend a lot of time in large companies, but I did spend a lot of time and do spend a lot of time with management teams in large organizations and looking for those that realize that they're in an environment that if they do the next right thing and they're adventurous, and again, getting back to the data, they read the data the right way and they're solid leaders, then we find out that those organizations can move forward. And I have a whole lot more fun working with the groups from that perspective than being in the middle of it and having to deal with the day-to-day of dragging some of those folks along that, that may or may not want to come on the journey that we're planning. So while I had an opportunity to meet some amazing leaders in, at my time in Motorola, I've never looked back from that. So what year did you break the chains and put your money where your mouth was and go out on your own? Well, I was 26 years old, so I don't want to tell you what year that is because your audience is going to think that I'm ancient. <laughs> All right. So we'll just say it was more than 20 years ago. So right. we'll, we'll stick with that. Awesome. And so the business today, ScaleWorks today, tell us, give us a brief infomercial. What exactly do you guys do? I mean, what's the end game for your clients? What's the transformation that they see? Well, we're a business accelerator and we specialize in working with companies that are early life and midlife. And the reason we choose to work with early life and midlife companies is because those organizations provide three cornerstones from which we can build scale. The first one is they have a database of customers and through an assessment process that we've refined that's built on the customer loyalty, the loyalty research center in Indianapolis, Indiana, we're able to look and see what is the database of your customers or what are the aspirations of those that are inside that audience. The second thing we look for is is that there is some form of structure inside the business. We want the beginnings of process, if not a process-oriented business. And the third thing is we don't like working with entrepreneurs who are first-timers, not because they're not wonderful and enthusiastic, but there's a lot of value to working with folks that have been around and have bumped their nose a few times because their insight and wisdom when looking at the data and speaking to process becomes more of a, a, a platform for, for focused leadership. Okay, great. And so when you come in, when you say you're an accelerator, tell me what, what that means. I mean, you know, give me a, draw me a little bit of picture of exactly what that means. I know you, you gave a very good description on who you work with, but talk to me a little bit more about the transformation. All right. So by accelerator, we mean, look, these companies that we work with typically are successful. They'll have returns anywhere from I don't know, 5 to 18% EBITDA. And our goal, of course, is to get or to plot out what we think the optimum cash flow generation as a percentage of revenue is from that business. And then to work backwards and say, well, how do we create an environment where you're acquiring ever increasing levels of customers and those customers are spending ever increasing amounts of money inside of the environment that you're building? So we're looking to accelerate customer acquisition and customer value or customer spend. And we're big fans of the customer lifetime value theory, 
but we like to turbocharge it and say it's not just about customer lifetime value. It's about the acceleration of the numbers of customers with ever increasing customer lifetime value. So when we look at a, at, a, at a business, our first question is, do they own a category? And are they clearly doing something that gives their audience a better version of themselves? And then based on research, we can begin to clock out a long-term vision of what that increasing better version of the audience's version of themselves would be. And what that ends up providing us is a series of perspectives that we can speak to as each customer becomes more enlightened about how that company gives them a better version of themselves. So we can start out with, for instance, equipment manufacturer. And of course, the what, what they're providing and what they're selling typically ends up being based on features and benefits. And the question becomes, how do we own the category so features and benefits are only a indication of the value that you're creating. And what we're really looking for is how are you different and what makes it difficult for your competition to copy how you create a difference for your audience. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I mean, you're talking about what kind of a moat do they have around the business, what type of barrier to entry they have for competitors to actually replicate what they have. I mean, because particularly in today's day and age, if it's technological driven, I mean, you know, you know, you've seen it with different platforms, right? I mean, Snapchat comes out and then all of a sudden everybody copies it and TikTok comes out and everybody copies it. And, you know, so there's some proprietary there, but ultimately a large company can come in and it's not in that space and dominate it very quickly and equal the playing field pretty well. So no, I think that latter part really hit home. All right. So listen, you got a lot to cover here. So I appreciate the intro. Let's talk about this process, the scale works process, and let's talk about this transformation from working harder to grow your business to actually doing the things that are going to scale your business. Can you unpack that for us a bit? Yeah, and I'm going to put it in four buckets. First of all, all of us, when we start a business, we end up working harder. We, we find a customer base and there are things that the customer base demands. And so what do we do? We, we work as hard as we can in order to deliver what we perceive as creating customer value. The next step is what are the, how do we create process around that activity? And when we do that, we end up honing our, our audience and we end up honing our customer base because we'll find out that having worked harder, we end up with customers that probably aren't profitable. And the question is, how do we focus ourselves so that we can design processes that deliver what it is that we're the value that we're, we've created? to a set of customers who most deeply appreciate us. The next bucket then from process orientation, because if we stay with process too long, that begins diminishing returns. The next piece is we need to understand what is it that that customer base that we are now serving successfully, should we be able to deliver more value to them? What would that value be and how do we clearly articulate that? And I think one of the contemporary writings around that is job to be done. What is the job that our customers are actually coming to us to do? What we found, though, is that if we focus specifically on the job our customers want us to do, we, we miss the job we could be doing that gives the customer that better version of themselves that they may not even recognize that's available to them, or they may not even see themselves as a different individual or a different set of benefits making their life better? And how do we do research that gives us indicators that then we can position ourselves so that we own a 
a large, largely defined, clearly articulated value set that when the customer sees it, they go, oh, I never even thought about that. But yes, if that was something that could be achieved, that makes my life hugely better. And we think of that as rethinking marketing. And what we're doing in that third bucket is remodeling the customer experience and then actually transforming the customer base. We're giving them better and better insights into themselves. And then from there, we begin to think about the customer or the, the business model. Typically, a business can get through those first three buckets of working harder process and realigning their marketing and still stay a supplier and not have deep relationships with their customers. And the question becomes, what do you do to remodel or to redesign your business model so that you directly own that customer relationship? And once we begin to define that, that's when customer the companies begin to have scale. We see a lot of companies that are amazingly successful on platforms like Amazon. Problem is, they are truly just a supplier to Amazon at that point in time because they have no direct relationship with their customer. And will they take that deep breath and take that bet that they can create their own customer relationships and begin to build their own either ecosystem or at least be a strategic partner to that audience that from which they're drawing their customer base? Okay. So you, you talked about four different buckets. Bucket one was working hard. Obviously, that's pretty much a prerequisite, but there is a lot of diminishing returns there, right? Mm-hmm. Second part is creating process. You said the same sort of thing, right? There is a lot of diminishing returns there. Third, you said customer value and customer experience. Those are kind of the terms that you were framing around that bucket. And then the fourth bucket was the business model. And I think you had mentioned prior to that, maybe how maybe category dominance, how to dominate that category, how to be different, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so walk us through, I mean, we've got the buckets. So what I want you to, to envision here is that you've got a small business owner who's been working hard to grow his business and he continues to work harder. The hard work's not the issue, but he's just not scaling. Okay. Mm-hmm. What would be a simple process that you would either take him through or where you would guide him or her to, you know, to maybe be able to implement some different strategies or tactics or to consider certain aspects of their business so that they can break away from just working harder and it can actually start to see a little bit of scale. Could you help us navigate that almost like a almost like a consultation of sorts, right? I mean, again, we can fill in the blanks as to what kind of business it is, or you can just give me an example of one you've worked with, and then we could just kind of use that, however that sure. would work. Well, so let's just use a theoretical business because I think most of us have been in that spot where as the entrepreneur the most the thing that is prevailing in our mind when we think of our customers is typically those customers that seem to be the loudest or provide us with um, the most rapid immediate gratification and so our comment to the business owner would be let's let's understand your customer loyalty process and not as in how do you create customer or loyal customers but how do you understand what it is that your loyal customers really see themselves as achieving or receiving from their relationship with you. And we would do an analysis both of the organization and of the audience, the customer base, and come back with a structured diagram that suggests which customers are most profitable, which customers are most loyal, What would it take to move those customers that may not be loyal, but yet are recurring customers to loyal? 
And what happens to those customers that may not even meet the loyalty criteria, but yet are buying from them? And what's the profitability there? And those all come out to and, and define for us dimensions or epics is the term that we use. What are the epics that drive loyalty and repeat business? And from that, we would start designing the processes of the business because, again, we had spoken or as part of the survey, we would have had a deep analysis, a very deep analysis, actually, of the functionality of the business. And we would be able to say, given these customers that are most profitable and most loyal and the epics that they buy when they're spending money with you, here is how the company needs to line up in order to deliver consistently against those epics. We would walk through a redesign of the processes or a tightening down of process definition because we can then use that as a baseline for continuous improvement. And from there, we would go back to the epics and say, now that was the perspective the customers had at this moment in time when we started improving the customer lifetime value that you're receiving from your audience, let's now speak to what are some of the aspirations that that audience has. And given that we have stable processes in the business, how do we now speak to our audience so that they understand what other things are available from their relationship with you? And we would begin the scaling process then through a design of an epics map that then at the same time gives us as an unintended or an intended consequence, a definition of the category that that business actually owns and why people keep coming back to it. And then from there, that's when the, the science of epic category customer experience and the transformation of the customer base start to come together. The business creates a lexicon around that. And we begin to see the business then be able to grow both geographically, as well as in the offering set and expansion of the value of that category. Okay. So question for you. You talked about customer loyalty and, and the ability and the importance of measuring that, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you, I mean, this is just an aside and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I was just curious, what do you consider to be the best metrics for determining or measuring customer loyalty? How do you, I mean, is there a metrics or a measurement or a tool or something that you use for, for measuring that? We use a combination. Well, the, the approach to achieving the collection of the information is subjective and objective research. So subjective interviews, watching a day in the life, observing, and then creating some hypotheses from which we test and we come back and say, look, here's, here is the, a profile of the customer. Or here are profiles of several of the different categories of customers that you have. And here's it, here are their aspirations. Here are their expectations. That data set, though, can have typically there's 12 to 15 dimensions in that data set. And so the question becomes, what do we focus on and how do we execute against it? And that's what we bring to the table. Because most business owners, while they can speak to the features and benefits and profitability of customers, they may not be able to speak to the psychographic of the customer. And our goal is to get our hands on not just the psychographic at that moment, but the perspective going forward. Because as we understand the psychographic and we deliver against it, customers look back and they go, okay, I'm here now, thanks to you. But because I'm here now, I see that there's other opportunities for, to, for me to get a better version of myself. So that becomes an ongoing process of 
designing a customer journey for themselves to constantly improve their life. All right. So let me ask you this. So this enhanced view or visibility into the psychographics beyond just the demographics, right? I mean, those are, those are pretty easy. Those are pretty easy to understand. Based on this enhanced view of these psychographics, how do you typically see it impacting the company from a sales and marketing perspective? The challenge is the sales team understanding the definition of the category as opposed to selling features and benefits. So what are the problems that we're actually solving and how do we sell against problems? How do we help the customer see themselves in terms of what their objectives are versus an old style analysis of what to purchase, which ends up being a features and benefits map? So it becomes content. How do we create information flow to the audience so that as they see the content, they say things like, wow, I can certainly see myself differently given the information that I just received. Got it. sense? Yeah, no, that made sense. I mean... The difference between focusing in on their pain points, their challenges, and some of their most important goals or you know, the vision of where they see their business as opposed to just the features and benefits of a product. Like I came from the logistics industry, right? One of the last businesses I built was in the logistics industry, predominantly freight management. So when you, you know, when you're in that space and you're talking to buyers, right, shipping managers, warehouse managers, traffic managers, logistics managers who are buying that. You know, one of the primary measurements they always use is just price, right? Per mile or some sort of a, a unit price that they're used to measuring, you know, the transportation per mile on. And so one of the hardest things to do is to get salespeople to not focus on that and to get companies to not focus on just the price, because then you're just a commodity, right? Then you're just a features benefits. Then you're just a supplier in our you're just a supplier, exactly. Right. And so no. And so that was one of the things that we did differently early on. And so I think I I think, you know. I see very much an eye in line with what you're saying there. We focused more on what are some of the primary pains and challenges and things that are going on inside their business and then turn the focus over to that and became and, much more of a resource where, and that in itself, just changing that conversation changed the way they looked at us yes. as a business. And they see you then as a modular producer, or I don't use the word partner anymore because it's so overplayed, but by the term modular producer, and logistics is a, a field that we've had a lot of interaction with ourselves. When they see that the total value creation of product delivered is different than the price of transferring a product, that all of a sudden becomes a different conversation. And the challenge, of course, is to be a strategic asset to the customer, giving them consistently better versions of themselves. And in this case, the better version of themselves may be the addition they create to the profitability of their business. Yeah, perfect. Okay, right. great. All right, so listen, is there anything else you, I mean, we're running a little bit short on time. I'd love sure. to be able to spend an hour to unpack this whole process here, but is there anything else you want to add specific to the ScaleWorks process or that journey of going from working harder to actually scaling? And then I'll ask you a couple of rapid fire questions and then we'll wrap it up for today. Yeah, uh, well, uh, one thing and one thing only, we don't do it to people, we do it with our clients. And we're, we've found that uh, if we ask the right questions on the front end, we get clients that are saying, yeah, you know, we kind of thought about that, but we never really executed against it or we got too busy or, you know, that seems like something that is so logical. Why didn't I think of that? And the challenge that we typically have is that customers, our customers, when we first meet them, are working so hard on the things they had learned previously that they haven't really taken the time to think about other approaches 
and taking the risk of executing against those other approaches. And when you have really solid data that's showing up, giving you information as a precursor to it showing up on your financial statements, that becomes an exciting environment for the company, for the, for the organization, or we call our companies communities of practice. That becomes exciting because all of a sudden the community of practice learns how to aim and is confident that the shot it's taking is going to hit its mark because what they've become expert at is aiming. Yeah. And again, that data-driven approach to showing the prospective customer or the customer what impact the change will have, right? Because sometimes it's the devil I know versus the devil I don't, right? They'd rather just stick with something that's half-assed and they know is broken than to try to fix it and and risk the whole ball of wax, right? So Mm -hmm. I get it. Makes makes sense. All right, great. Couple rapid fire questions and we'll wrap it up for today. Number one, what's your favorite growth tool, app, SaaS product, software, something that you use to help grow your companies or you help or you you leverage to help grow your customers' companies? It's the loyalty research data, um, data accumulation analysis and delivery program. And it is not a SaaS-based program, unfortunately, but it's manual, but it plugs in to all the SaaS systems of the business in order to create dashboards that give the company a real guidance system. Is that proprietary or is that something that you leverage or you know, license or is an outside it, resource? It, it's an outside resource. We license it. We've modified it for our purposes, but it comes from the Loyalty Research Center in Indianapolis. Got it. Perfect. Okay. And what would be one book that you would recommend? Maybe something that you enjoyed, helped you on your journey, or you think might help the audience on theirs? I know that may be hard. You're probably a reader like most yeah. in your role. Gosh, I don't know. I'm probably the untethered soul. <laughs> I'm not sure that the business books have given me anything other than than insights in, into how to construct data. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't touch somebody's heart, it doesn't matter. Great. Love it. All right. Well, listen, here's what we'll do. We'll make sure we put those sh- uh, links in the show notes, Mark. Really appreciate you being here. You know, Congrats on all your success. Let everybody know how they can connect with you, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Oh, great. Thanks, Dennis. Well, you can see us at scaleworks.co. Or uh, drop me an email at marketscaleworks.co and scaleworks is S-C-A-L-E-W-E-R-K-S. Love it. Once again, we'll put those links in the show notes. Appreciate you being here and I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Thanks, Dennis. It's been really great. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.